And we're live. Welcome to another episode of the Questioning Commission. My name is Chase and I'm joined by... Welcome back. Yeah. How you, how you, man? How you, man? I can't complain, man. It's, it's the week's been, you know, same shit, different day. Yeah. It, came uh, in. it came in and went, you know. Uh, how's your thesis coming along? It's coming along well, man. It's coming along well. So today I had a really, I'd say, I wouldn't really call it a, I'd say a productive day. Productive day. I managed to work on my second draft of my proposal. So I'm almost done. Then I sent that to my to my writing coach before sending it to my, my supervisor. Okay. And I can start working my paper from there on. Do you just want to tell the listeners what you uh, what the title of your thesis is? So my thesis title is Cybersecurity Provision in South Africa, an agent, an agent analysis. And I'm looking at who does what in terms of cybersecurity cybersecurity in South Africa. So government, academia, technology, civilians, and business. Okay, okay, that that'll be quite a fascinating t- topic, and I I think that some way we can kind of relate that in a future topic, especially if you look at what we talk about, like in terms of IR security studies and political violence. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That being yeah. said, I do want to give it. No, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, I'm saying there's there's quite a lot to consider in in these modern times whereby you know war is changing drastically and i think it speaks mainly to the research report that last year for honors of drones and and i and cyber security or cyber warfare if you wish so it's no. quite a lot to think about and chat about so maybe in the future we can actually give it a try and see what gives no no i i think that's that's important it's particularly if you look at our our thesis is um past thesis and future thesis they're center, centered around relevant topics, you know, these constant, yeah. occur, like, it's constantly occurring, you know. We see yeah. um, crypto theft and all, all institutions being broken down by, by uh, cyber attacks, as well as with yeah. drones. I mean, the, yeah. it's quite an interesting conundrum. But that being said, um, I do just want to give a disclaimer in the sense that this topic, this the theme of this podcast, this week's podcast is political violence and security studies, and I know that's two modules that we've thoroughly enjoyed, um, and I think that this may come off as doom and gloom, but war isn't pretty, and so is violence not. Uh, but people shouldn't forget that there's light in the world and. Not everything is doom and gloom. Even though this podcast, this episode may be doom and gloom, there is light out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I think violence is one of those necessary evils, you know. We, we love to hate it. We, we all hate violence in some shape or form, but then in some cases, violence is it's necessary. Look at history, how, you know, conquests have worked, how people have got to, you know, realize on freedoms and stuff like that. So, it's it's a matter it's it's like it's like boiling water you can use it for two things to burn someone or to boil an egg and the egg yeah. can feed you so it's a matter of how you choose to use the violence so no. let's let's look at violence and see what we can find what came of the week <laughs> no you know it's like if you go back to thomas hobbes um and how his perception of violence you know he went on to say that uh, violence is man's primal instinct, you know. It's in yeah. our ingrained nature. 
You can't yeah. take it away. And the only reason that violence is stopped over time is because we've entered a social contract, in a yeah, sense, yeah. with with the government or monarchy or whatever system that you run. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, I, sorry, to quote Hobbes, he goes, uh, the civil yeah. war and brute situation of the state of nature, the, which mm. is the war of all against all, could only be avoided by strong, undivided government. Mm. And that's quite fascinating, that, that very line, undivided government. Yeah. Yeah. You see, we, we're seeing a breakup of society in almost every country that you look at at the moment. Government yeah. is divided. And maybe that is what's breaking the very social contract. And that's giving rise to the violence that we see in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And look, and, and I think we, I don't know if we are being failed by democracy or if humans are at a, I don't know, the the cusp of a new reality, if it's maybe this is how we're going to re- usher in forth a new form of, of existence, a new form of governance, a new form of life, a new way of thinking and doing things in reality. But we are at an interesting juncture in life, really, because now we're seeing divides, not really on the basis of color or, or location, but then divide, divides, I think, for the first time in human history on, on, on more intellectual things about what governance systems do we resort to, economics, politics, you know, security, as mainly seen in the U.S. especially. So there's a lot going on. And I think we are... Luckily for us, we still young, so we have, uh, I'd say, 20 odd years in the bag left to go. So we can still, you know, stick around and see if we can see this through. And, and maybe, say, five, ten years from now, maybe there will be a, a different social order. And what would that look like? It's hard to I imagine. Think, but then, yeah. I like you said, like, you know, man or whore about anything. You can yeah. say it's religion, you can say it's race, you can say it's gender there will always be something so it could be the airpods versus the earphone cables you know it's a man will find find any excuse to fight any difference so i think that there's this concept that there's this utopia that we won't fight yeah Yeah. that we need to get that perception out of our head in the sense that man will fight about anything we'll find a reason to fight yeah however we've kind of Learned of the uh, like even over the years and the evolution of man, that there's a social contract and we need to show restraint and so forth. You know, mm. back then it was either kill or be killed. Now we don't have that situation anymore, where we're placed in that peril. You know, um, so you aren't placed in these violence unless you join the military, but you yeah. kind of get a choice to live out. And I think that. Uh, people have forgotten that they are the majority of the masses have that instinct in to fight. Um, it's a perfect tangent that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that um, I'm just going to run a little tangent, maybe a little bit of a rant. But I was listening to a podcast in the week. Um, Joe Rogan had this guy named Tim Kennedy on. So to give a little mm-hmm. backstory to Tim Kennedy, he's an ex-USC fighter. He mm-hmm. was in the military, special forces, and then he became yeah. a UFC star. And then he resigned from the military and then joined the military again to go fight again in the special forces. And 
he's a proud Texan and so forth. You know, the majority of um, the majority of the military is right leaning in a sense. And he was going on to say that social justice warriors, these riots that we see across the world and all that, they're poking a beast, particularly when mm-hmm. you look at the backdrop of America. Um, a large majority of the people living in America have served, right? And they all mm. carry guns, right? We know that America loves their guns. Yeah. And what he was saying was that, yes, protest. That is the reason that America, you know, peace, bravado, big dick, all that jazz. That's what they live for, right? That's why they go serve and so forth, right? But yeah. he was saying that that's your right to protest. But when you take the rioting and all this political correctness, you're poking at a beast and you keep poking at this beast, though you're saying, don't push all these vets because they might just snap and you're going to see violence, right? You keep burning down stores of people, you're going to see people pushing back. Violence perpetuates violence. Exactly. Look, man, you see, I... For me, violence is... It's it's one of those things where it's you know it's it's uh, I don't know man it's 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 a square peg in a round hole and a round hole in a square peg because it's hard to to actually make sense of and put it into words because as you say you you are seeing these cases in the states whereby they are pushing these vets and if they are pushed to the limits they might snap and. I don't know, I'd probably say rightfully so if I was out, no one was listening, I'd probably say rightfully so. But then it's it's interesting because now we are we are seeing this, you know, time in human history whereby liberals have literally conquered the world and they're just doing as they please. And you know, the guys on the left, you know, the right, I mean sorry, the conservatives, they are feeling up, you know, they're feeling a bit like China, you know, being pushed into a corner. And if you push someone into a corner and they run out of room, the, the only way out is through you. So, mm. so now it's, if you have to go through these liberals, it's going to become now, it's going to become a matter of, of, it's going to become a legal matter, a matter of law, who did what to whom and why, how. It's going to be no longer be a case of the liberals actually burned down a store, did SJW burn down a store, did SJW kill the cop, or I don't know, they stomped the cop, whatever the case is. It's going to become a different matter by now. They want us to follow the very same laws that they claim are oppressing them, the laws that need to fall, the the laws that need to be broken up, and the rest of it. So I'm unsure how this will play out. I'm unsure about many things. Maybe it's because I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything. And sometimes you need to allow reality to, to see itself out because we've seen cases whereby things start off on a, a rather a rather bland and and negative and pessimistic note, but then they can somehow by the grace of whoever change and for the better hopefully. So yeah. What do you think? I feel I feel like the left is gonna break the world. You mm-hmm. asking for too much as like the way it's going, it's almost nonsensical, right? I saw mm-hmm. in the week that in the U.S. there's this movement trying to say that thumbs up, right? And this is racist and discriminatory and it should be removed. Uh, the thumbs up is w- w- worse, if not worse, 
in the middle finger. And mm. he, he, that, that's just a small step. And I feel like the war's going to break where we're not going to... It's, it's just going to spread, right? And I feel like we, we're talking about the US, but the same context and situation can be applied to South Africa. We have people... Yeah. Like, I'd say that South Africans are... We're friendly. But yeah. don't mess with us, right? I, yeah. I'd go to the advice to say that, right? We're friendly, but don't mess with us. And we're starting to see this trickle down. Maybe it's because more people have internet, more people have Twitter now, all of that. But everybody's active as a social justice warrior. And we're fighting for the most random shit, right? I saw, yeah. like, let's, let's just go right into, dive straight into it. Uh, last week in Fairview, mm. Port Elizabeth, there was a couple of trainers that had been previously fired mm. and there was a dis- financial dispute. Yeah. yeah. There, was a financial, there was a financial dispute um, over lost wages at the CCMA. And yeah. what, what resulted in these trainers went to the farms there's no details on if there was any discourse or anything. Well, what they did yeah. was they ended up taking pangas. Uh, for those of you who don't listen, it's like a rubber, let's just say like a rubber baton kind of thing. But like if you whip it, like it cuts, basically. It can cut skin, it can pierce skin in a sense. Like a shambok. Uh, like a shambok, right? Uh, just yeah. for international listeners, that's kind of what it is. Like a rubber yeah. pipe that kind of can cut up in skin. And... Yeah. um they ended up stabbing the horse like 86 times, a racehorse 86 yeah. times and set the stables on fire and so forth over a financial dispute. Now, I don't know, but I, I mean, we're not living in Animal Farm, right? But even in Animal Farm, <laughs> Boxer was the middle class and he, he basically did all the labor. But I mean, horses don't pay wages like directly. <laughs> so... <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I feel like that it's like shooting yourself like firstly it's fucking cool why would you stab a horse 86 times or like torture it? it's inhumane yeah. the horse didn't do anything to you so that that seems nonsensical to me like why why are people resorting to that right I know violence is a tool but it should also be seen as a commodity you need to use it effectively right now you're mm. telling me that, that guy, the owner of that horse, is going to be like, okay, cool, I'll give you your 4,000, 5,000 rand back pay. It's a half a million racehorse. Yeah. Half. Like, you're just going to piss him off more and he's not going to hire anybody related to you or even looks like you because he thinks, the, contrast these people, they're, they're fucking gotcha. animals, savages. Mm. So well, violence needs to be treated like salt. You can use a little, and the dish will be good. But if you use too much, you're gonna make the you're gonna make the dish shit. It's, it's gonna be unedible, you know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, man? Look, man, this whole situation of of, of the horses and the bad pay, and because initially there was a lot of confusion around what the story was. Because initially the case was some workers one one paid, then it emerged that it was workers who were actually fired from the from the stables and the rest of it. So for me, as, as you say, violence can be used as a tool and a commodity as well, which I absolutely love the analogy of salt and its use. I love that. But then look, in terms of, of 
violence specifically and in relation to that case in in that case the people were i know we so some would argue that the people are being short sighted because they could they possibly lose out on a future job or future reemployment and the rest of it but then we have to be have to be friends as they are these people are poor they live on next to nothing or you know they on the border of poverty day and night so for them it's not about what happens the next month and the rest of it it's, like, it's the question is what will i eat tonight so as much as it may seem short sighted to the next guy but then from where they standing it's a question of what will i eat tonight i've been hungry for 2 3 days and i have a person who could potentially give me money on the basis of them firing me and not properly compensating me for that dismissal so it's a question of trying to feed the now these are the same guys who don't have medical aid who don't have pensions who don't have any retirement plans these are guys who are just living to survive they're not living to live to enjoy life they're living to survive so in their cases they had everything to gain and nothing to lose except a horse which they don't own so it's it's a question of now there's there's a history of violence in this country obviously i think that's well documented we've seen violence work in the past or the threats of violence working in the past so maybe i'll i'll assume here that there was probably a threat of violence given prior to them attacking and then the threat did not work then they decided to actually go forth and act on their threats so yeah okay i get what you're saying like i get that regard but there are steps right so yeah. could you not yeah. hold the horse hostage right as joke as it may be but you could hold the horse horse hostage but then you also got to look at the thing uh-huh. right the inhumane parts of it right so they tortured these horses right mm-hmm. like i get it just cut its throat fine. yeah it's an act a simple act the the overkill you know stabbing it 86 times hitting it with a panga burning it they say burning is the worst way to die why would you put an innocent animal through that like kill it cut its throat fine right that's you mate but to torture and and yeah. is kind of what i have an issue with you know um so yeah, i think that yeah. that's the issue that's something i can't get past right because if that was my horse i'd say i'd go out and hurt those people that hurt my horse you know so you mm. if we keep having these acts you know right you can say farm violence you can look so forth and so forth right you keep poking the beast yeah. right these horse owners these farmers so forth and so forth clicks owners right A lot of them are independently owned. Yeah. They're just franchises. So, are you going to cry a wolf the yeah. moment one of these guys react to, with violence to you? You know, everybody cries victim yeah. when they confronted with it, but they want to use violence. Uh, uh, you know what? That, yeah. the, that's what gets me right. If you are prepared to use violence, then you must mm. expect violence back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look. I will I'll try to be diplomatic and and separate the clicks incidents from the horse incidents because those two incidents for me are are different for, for one particular reason one the horse is an animal and two the click situation involves humans now I'll get into that so here's what I mean the horse in terms of where those people stand the horse is not an an end in itself it's a means yeah. to an end whereby humans 
are in Indian themselves. So for them, again, yeah, I'm, I'm probably assuming just playing devil's advocate here. But look, if you kill a horse, it's different to killing a human and it clicks. It's a different story. You can get a life sentence for a human, probably 15 to 20 years for a horse in, in prison, probably reduced based on good behavior as well. So for them, attacking the, the horse owner was not really a, a feasible idea. If, if, if you now think about not just eating tonight, but then, you know, it's, it's more like, it's, a, it's kind of a dichotomy because you have to think about eating tonight and the future, but then the future in two ways, your future and the kid's future. So what I mean here is this, by, by, by killing the horse and wanting the money now, they're thinking about tonight. By choosing not to kill the owner, they're thinking about their futures. But these are the same guys who can't think about their future. I hope it makes sense because it's, it's kind of hard to explain. Anyway, so the horses are, are a means to an end. They allow them to make a point uh, to the owner to say, nature, you owe us X amount of The excessive money. nature of the killings, right? Uh, we looked at it in ethics. It's yeah. the overkill that... So there has to be a consequence for that overkill, right? I mean, if you look at, there was, yeah, a, there was yeah. an incident over the weekend, right? Um, about particularly focused around the concept of pit, political violence, right? So in Eastern Cape, there was a tavern. Yeah. And what happened was, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell, we'll actually read the police report to you. Um, so it's on News 24, uh, an article written by Alex Mitchley, Six Die after being locked in a petrol-bombed Eastern Cape Tavern. So, police are searching for two men mm-hmm. who allegedly locked a number of people in the tavern and petrol-bombed the establishment in King Williams Town, Eastern Cape, on Thursday evening. Six people were killed and four injured. Mm-hmm. So, around 9, 9 p.m., two unknown men entered the tavern, situated at Sweetwater, and ordered that all patrons leave the establishment. Some of the patrons obeyed the men's instructions and left. But those who stayed behind were not as lucky. Just 15 minutes after they entered the tavern, the, the men allegedly threw a petrol bomb into the establishment and locked the remaining patrons inside as the fire started blazing. In total, six people died during this yeah. ordeal. And a further four were injured during the incident and they were rushed to the Grey Hospital to receive treatment. Now, if you're that kind of individual... They should just take you out to the and shoot you. Because mm. you... <laughs> I mean, you got to fuck it. Like, that guy, annoying yeah. our justice system, he's going to get 15 years or something like that, right? Something crazy like that. It's a slap on the wrist for torturing people in a sense. So, when you look at that, yeah. and I know a, a horse is not a human, Right. But it's still a living thing, same yeah. as these people in the tavern, right? So, we, mm. you know, it's hard to differentiate between each incidence of political violence, whether or not um, they hold of, uh, like, whether you should, their punishments should be the same. But I feel like because we live in a society yeah. where there's so much loopholes and our justice system isn't strong enough, we just need to draw a fast yeah. line and thing. It's overkill, and that should be punished. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't you don't just get yeah. charged with murder. You get charged with torture or something like that, so that you 
actually regret your consequences. Because, I mean, if you look at you rape or murder somebody, you can be out in 10, 10, 12 years in South Africa. Yeah. So I think we need to draw a hard line into the sand and say, kind of, fuck this. And you know what? If you bring violence, you're going to get violence. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, man, as as I think I said this from from the beginning, violence is 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 violence is a tricky thing. Yeah, it's it's a tricky thing to work with because, as you said, it's like salt. How do you use it? You know, how do you make use of violence and what end do you want to achieve? Does the end justify the means, or, or should the means themselves be justified within their own? So, it's 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 tricky. It's tricky. And I, I honestly, I'm honestly, I'm smart enough to say I don't know enough. And if there's anyone who knows more than me, I'm more than willing to to engage and 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 be schooled. But anyway, man, staying on the on the notes of violence and keeping it local, I don't know if you saw this, but then there has been reports in the week of Iran wanting to murder the ambassador to South Africa from the US. So the US ambassador to South Africa, to put it in a neat manner, wants to yeah, murder yeah. that woman. So I've got something here from Eyewitness News, just something I picked up quickly here before we started with the podcast. And it, it, the title is, Iran warns US against strategic mistake after Trump threat, Eyewitness News. So Tehran, Iran warned the US on Tuesday against making a strategic mistake after President Donald Trump threatened Tehran over a report, it planned to avenge the killing of General Kasim Soleimani. And then there's a quote here from Ali Raibiel. It reads, we hope they do not make a new strategic mistake. And certainly in the case of any strategic mistake, they will witness Iran's decisive response. Now, before we even move on to the case of the ambassador, I just want us to stick to that point. They will witness Iran's decisive response. Those couple of words, about five, six words, six words. They will witness Iran's decisive response. Those words for me, again, show what I was saying about violence earlier on. You can either A, make use of violence itself, or B, make use of the threat of violence. So... Let's be quite frank here. The U.S. has capabilities well beyond Iran. But then let's let's assume for some reason or the other, the, the U.S. and Iran do engage in, in some form of, of conflict or, you know, just to test each other's strengths here and there. What would that look like? Who do you think would, would be on the losing end would be... So, who would be on the losing end? So, what do you this think? is a tricky topic. I just want to rewind you to January 2020, right? Yeah. We hear Soleimani dies. Boom. Cop. Yeah. Everybody stresses. The memes are going. The world is about to end. There is going to be anarchy, <laughs> right? Everybody's like, what is Iran's uh, response, right? They did a, like mm. a saving face bombing of a U.S. base in Iraq, and that was the end of it, right? Mm. So it's quite interesting that they bring this up, right, now of all times, right? 
obviously COVID hit everybody hard. So you've got to put things on the back burner, right? But yeah. my thing is, right, it's an example, right? If you look at Afghanistan, right? The British tried to conquer yeah. Afghanistan. The Russians. The US. The Taliban are still standing there, right? The Taliban are in charge of Afghanistan. It was a failed mission, right? Yeah. Same for, look at the Vietnam yeah. in Vietnam. The Americans thought they were going to win. Viet Cong won, right? So what I'm saying is, no matter how small mm-hmm. it is, it's the ingenuity and ability and agility of these people. They might not have uh, the best weapons and so forth, right? But I mean, a bunch of Taliban yeah. in, the, uh, in the mountains of Afghanistan with a couple of AKs have kept everybody, Britain, Russia, China, They've yeah. kept everybody out of those mountains. Those mountains, it's still Afghanis. So whether you want to, however you want to look yeah. at it, the Taliban's won, right? The US is still trying to save its same yeah. face, saying they've won, but they, they've lost all their strategic points within Afghanistan, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. that you could find a situation. Iran could be the very same thing, especially if you look at the land mass of Iran in comparison to mm. even Iraq, right? Iraq fits mm. maybe 10 times or 12 times over in Iran. So it's a landmass that's not going to be easy to achieve. And you've got, you've yeah. got to yeah. think, right? The Iranians fought, uh, pushed ISIS out of um, Syria, right? They did that as well as in Iraq, right? So Iraq owes Iran yeah. as well as Syria. So you, you're looking, you're not just going to be fighting over with the Iranians. You're also going to be fighting with the various terrorist groups within, within um, Iran. Because mm. you, you think that those uh, radical groups are going to turn down the opportunity of taking pot shots at allied troops within. No, everybody's going to, it's going to be open, yeah. open season on everybody. So it's in um, the US's peril to just try to go in half-heartedly. That being said, it's quite interesting that they they targeting the South African ambassador to the US, right? So I did a little reading on this lady, yeah. Marx. Um, uh, her name is Marx, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, Lana Marx. Yeah. I think she was born in Durban. Yeah. Yes. And what, what the, the US ambassador Embassy in Pretoria has failed and so far declined to comment to the reported plans to assassinate Marx. Tehran has strongly denied them. South Africa, Minister of State Security, Ayanda Lodlo, said the matter was receiving the necessary attention and that the State Security, mm. State security Agency was interacting with all relevant, mm. all relevant party, partners in both the country and abroad to ensure that no harm will be suffered by the U.S. ambassador. Now, the, it's quite interesting yeah. that they decided to do this for the South African minister. They obviously see South Africa as a soft target, and that speaks to our capabilities as well, you know? I don't know. So yeah. I think that the, the U.S. has to be wary of what they want to do because you can't forget China's brewing over there. Russians, Russia's a constant threat. You've got Mexico's cartel wars. You've got covid Mm. you stretching thin plus you want to be in Africa yeah you can only you can only butter your bread so much you know so for for me this is quite interesting because 
this this law on a woman is obviously the ambassador to South Africa, but she's it's it's reported that she's also good friends with with Donald Trump. That's what the reports say. So I just got something here also from the article as well, which states it's it's a quote from Trump's favorite form of communication, Twitter. It states any attack by Iran in any form against the United States will be met with an attack on Iran that'll be one thousand times greater in magnitude. This is is interesting for me because first of all, we we've seen Trump attack Iran. He's shown that he doesn't really have a problem going onto the soil. But then, as you said, should it be a case of by its full-on war, we'd firstly have to fight troops in the region, which are state-sponsored. Then you'd have to fight rebel forces in the region mm -hmm. as well. And then, obviously, in, in, in any case, wherever there's a war and your enemies are involved, you're going to support whoever they're fighting. So you might see now China stepping in. You might see Russia stepping in, operating as, as shadow sponsors you know, to all these, these troops these rebel forces, and that in itself might cause problems for the United States and its allies, its NATO allies, because they might go to war with them. And it's it's a funny story because it, it puts South Africa in, in, in a precarious position because we, we share intelligence with Iran. We share, you know, some weapons development, we share intelligence, and some reports recently within the week have stated that Iran has really deep, deep spying capabilities within the country. So that's why they are feeling as if pulling off the attack in South Africa is good for them for those two reasons. One, they share intelligence with us, and secondly, they are, they are spying capabilities within the country are well entrenched, so it puts them in a good position to be able to actually maneuver around and be aware and cognizant of what the next move might be as far as what we will do and what the Trump administration will do. So now there's this case you spoke of whereby the minister or the lady in charge of the state security agency, Ayanda Jojo, says it's receiving the necessary attention. Personally, if I was Lana Marx, I'd be deeply worried if someone said that because it's the same kind of statement they gave when they said they're looking into Mozambique. And it's been, what now, seven weeks? They said, you're going to discuss this, you're going to look into this, you're going to re respond and react within, you know, time and whatever whatever the case is. And it's been a month or so now, nothing has come of it. It, it started before even we had the podcast. They said we'd respond before the podcast. And here we are right now five episodes old and they're still saying we're going to respond. So personally, Lana should try to organize some, it's just, I don't know, it's a free tip, to organize some security on her own because I hate to say this, but then she really can't trust in the state security agency. I think, yes and no. I agree with you, yes and no. In the sense that yeah, I don't think that she sh I think that the CIA or FBI, whoever does state security, they've already got it in lockdown, right? I don't think the South Africans are going to yeah, protect yeah. them. It's more her own people because they don't want another Benghazi. You know what happened in Benghazi? Um, yeah. Where they overran the embassy, they killed the ambassador and so forth. So they don't want another repeat of that or even yeah. just another Somalia and so forth, right? So I don't think that they're yeah. like she's got more chance of being robbed in South Africa than actually being assassinated. 
I, I think <laughs> Wishy and Joburg, yeah. Joburg's wild. They'll, they'll run with Missy. Um, so I think that's what she needs to worry about more. Um, but this is quite interesting, this whole rhetoric and debate that we're having now. Because in the week, a report came out about, particularly when we look at assassinations, right? This is a long theme of assassinations. Mm-hmm. So uh, the report goes that... Um, Trump uh, directly contradicted himself in terms of he wanted to assassinate uh, al-Bashir, Bashar, Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian pres- president, in 2018. Mm-hmm. So in the Fox interview, Trump criticized former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis, uh, who has been in recent, who has mm-hmm. in recent months won the cu- country strongly against re-electing Trump. But in course of making that case, mm. Trump offered an odd claim. He said matters had effectively stood in the way of his efforts to assassinate Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. I would have rather taken him out, Trump said. Yeah. I had him all set. Matters didn't want to do it. Matters was a highly overrated general. <laughs> right. <laughs> that close. Uh, there is a rule against assassinating a foreign leader. That's immediately a declaration, yeah. declaration of war. Yeah. The balls on the man, not alone the stupidity of the man. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. America has yeah. used 9-11 as the, the, basically they used it as the excuse for uh, going into Afghanistan and going into Iraq, right? That's, that was what they used it for. 9-11 is still yeah. being quoted yeah. As for the reason being in Somalia and Syria, everywhere they want to be, that's what they're mm. using. It. So, yeah. America needs to watch itself in the sense that how can you justify it? If you assassinate a leader, you can't claim victim again when they attack back at you because mm. you can't have your cake and eat it in that sense, right? So, le- yeah. legally, yeah. that perspective, yeah. if they had killed people, the EU would have surely turned against them, right? Germany, Merkel doesn't, wouldn't mm. stand for that shit. Merkel would have, like, dragged, dragged yeah, his ass right across the thing. So you, you wouldn't have yeah. that coalition. You'd, look, you'd be, again, like the Gulf War, where the coalition didn't want to go into the Gulf. They didn't want to get involved. Yeah. So this warmongering is, could be the very end. Like, we see China warmongering. But that very same thing can be the same for the U.S. Mm. Man, look, the U.S. has has done many good things and many bad things as well. But they, I think they've done more bad than good if you look at how many people hate the country. And this this savior personality or the savior complex, yes, that's the word I'm looking for, complex that they have is... It's quite something because it's not objective. It's not based on reality on the ground. It's based on what they feel is best. And if you look closely enough, you might see that they're actually trying to serve their own interests. It's not really a matter of serving the people in that particular region or particular country, whatever the case is. So it's, it's especially now with the rise of, of social media, you know, you can put down information on Twitter in 140 characters or less, in Facebook in a picture, Instagram and the rest of it. 
people are starting to become more aware, more cognizant, and they're starting to realize more what the errors and shortcomings are of the US and the EU and all these other countries that were previously seen as, you know, the cream de la creme of, of the world, you know. So now we have also seen this rise, even within these countries of, of citizens born and bred in these countries, just trying to question and trying to, to bring about a change in the system, trying to find out what can be done differently because what's being done now clearly is not serving everyone. So as, as you said, China is, is trying to fight everyone they come across and the US seems to be doing the same and they seem to be using the same old trick from 45 years ago, which is 9-11. I'm not so counting when 9-11 was just for, for, for peace sakes. So we we are still seeing the US using the trick again. And honestly speaking, you can you can only you can only use the same trick so many times before the kid oh. catches on. You can only do the same magic trick so many times before people start seeing, okay, this is where the rabbit is, you know. So the US it's interesting. This is this is quite fascinating because if you look closely you'll see that we, we've seen China rise and become the new power that's opposing the US. And many, many said within the next 10 to 20 years, China will be the world's superpower. They'll change the order of your UN, WTO, and all these other multinational organizations. But then now we're also seeing China kind of following the, the same path as the US and whereby they are just causing trouble wherever they go. So this in itself will now create a sense in which we will start to see a vacuum in terms of, of leadership on the world stage. And that in itself is just a whole different story because now when I have us wondering who comes into power, who fills the vacuum, how is the vacuum filled? Is it, is it through natural process or agreement or is it through some form of competition whereby we see competition between states and, and regions, and there's this fight to seize power from the current leader. So just to get back to the point and not lose the point that was made about the US using the same trick of 9-11 on, on all fronts, I think I think that that ship has sailed. It's probably docked elsewhere now, and they can let it go because we honestly have had enough. You can't tell me that the whole world is responsible for 9-11. We have to, to put on our big boy pants and honestly, just try and move on. Just try and move on. Yes, we lost lives, but then we have to move on. Yeah, you know, the thing is, if all you have is a nail, soon enough, all your problems will look like... Uh, if all you have is a hammer, all, soon enough, all your problems will look like nails. And the military is America's <laughs> hammer, you know. Uh, like, hence the constant uh, emergence of an enemy. And the persistent theme and yeah. narrative of all, and the threat to uh, the American way of life. The whole concept of an enemy mm -hmm. is important to the American economy. Look at World War II, Korea, Vietnam. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a constant mm -hmm. need for conflict. And there's money, there's money in all. You yeah. can't deny that, right? And uh, you look at the yeah. orchestrated yeah. attempts to start war in Cuba, I mean, Iran. Like they're poking and prodding, looking for conflicts. Mm -hmm. America is a, a militarized economy. I mean, if you look at all the state contracts, yeah. 
Blackwater, the rise of private military contractors, the various needs to mm-hmm. keep the economy going. It's a military economy and it got them out of the Great Depression. And that's what it's, it's what's keeping yeah. the economy alive, you know. Um, look at mm-hmm. how Russia and America allies and almost immediately uh, after World War II, they left. I mean, this is a military industrial complex at work. Um, yeah. You know, it's hard to say when the violence is going to end, but you also see why they want to keep it going, right? And pretty soon, yeah. like you like you said, a cat has nine lives. America is using up their lives the same time over, you know, whoever they can label a terrorist is falls into the authorization of force from 2001, you know? Um, it's 19 years yeah. after the fact. And I'm not trying to belittle, Right. The lives lost, right? Because if you look at the Geneva yeah. Convention and the UN Charter that the Americans quote, right? So the thing is you're allowed to retaliate. It's self-defense, but in the exact same proportion, right? The exact same proportion. Mm. That is mm. the, the law. That is international law, right? So it's within the same proportion, yeah. right? Are you telling yeah. me, do you want to Google how many people died in 9-11? Five hundred, six hundred, right? And then some are dying of like illnesses related to nine eleven, right? Let's say max eight hundred. Telling me in the nineteen years of war mm. and then some change, right? Nine hundred mm. Afghanis, whoever have not died in this war. Mm. And the amount of civilians mm. lost, damaged the infrastructure. We ask why. Syria, Iran, Iraq, Shadow, because they've been bombed to shit. They don't have infrastructure. Exactly. So you, yeah. you're creating a, a, the whole thing with like uh, what I found, one of the key uh, thoughts that I found in my research into, for my thesis was drones are as effective as a, a weapon of war as a recruiting tool. So drones just don't discriminate. Yeah. You send a bomb, you kill not only the target, you kill his family and his brothers and cousins, right? You're not going to tell me their sons are going to be like, yeah. hold the fuck up, let's join ISIS, right? They found there was a consistent theme. They found that with every drone strike they killed, they, there was five more, five more people that just radicalized because you're killing people. Rather send in a team of special mm. forces and they'll kill exactly who you need them to kill. But by killing somebody with a drone, yeah. you're radicalizing them because... You live in the constant fear. You don't know who's next. And as a drone sits fucking 20 kilometers in the sky, how he, all he sees is a blurb. And if you reach a certain height, you're identified as a military-age male. If you're in the area and you're 14 and older, you're a military-age male and they can bomb the shit out of you. That's the law. That is their doctrine, right? So yeah. you yeah. brought away at the cost, right? It doesn't seem proportionate to me. But uh, my man, we can talk about yeah. this all day long. Let's move on to the next topic before we sit here a whole yeah. evening, you know? Yeah. Look, man, I just quickly pulled out my 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 browser and I tried looking how many people died from from nine eleven. And according to according to history dot com, about three thousand okay. people died from the nine eleven attacks. So as you said, the Geneva Conventions, the laws of war, require that if you respond. 
you respond proportionately, right? And in this case, it's it's in proportion. It's what I don't know, whatever the word is. It's not proportionate though, because you can't tell me over nineteen years you're just trying to kill three thousand people. Let's be honest. You have drones. You have you have troops on the ground. You have everything you could possibly need to kill a million people in a day. And you're telling me it's taking you nineteen years to kill three thousand people. Let's be honest. Let us, you know, let's let's call a spade a spade here. It's it's just it's just blatant. I'll, I'll call it bullshit because it, it is. You can't, as I said, you can't keep using the same trick time and again to say that, you know, they attacked us forty five years ago. So now we still need to retaliate. It's it's unsustainable. It's honestly unsustainable. So yeah. Anyway, we, we can move on and, and look at something, you know, it's that's a, a bit more related to the times of the times of today. Mm-hmm. We're gonna stay abroad. We're gonna we're gonna quickly run down to, to Russia's neighbor Belarus, you know, Andrei Lukashenko and, and see how the old man is holding mm-hmm. up. You know, twenty-six years in power is no easy thing to do. So let's Lukashenko is holding up. So before we, we got into the the podcast, I was just, you know, browsing the news, being my, my normal self and just looking around and seeing what I could I could find and, and, and the rest of it. And in the Associated Press, there's an article by and apologies for this in advance by Uris Kamenau, which spoke about the march of 1,000 marks, the seventh week of the protests in Belarus. So in case someone is, is not aware, just to put this into a bit of context, about seven weeks ago, Alexander Lukashenko declared himself or was declared winner of the elections, which were in air quotes, free and fair. And this was the, I think, fifth term in power. And then from there on, as they said, shit hit the fan because people eventually had enough and they took to the streets. And we've seen this uprising of, of people just opposing his, his rule. So I'm just going to quickly run through this this article and, and see what we can make of it. So Belarusians are calling for the authoritarian president to resign, march through the capital, the capital on Sunday as the country's Zueva protest entered its seventh week. And, and, and no matter how you look at this in, in, in English, French, Italian, that's a long time for people to be spending on the streets protesting. I saw this one picture of, I think this 80, 90-year-old woman was part of the protest. So if, if someone is close to their grave is willing to sacrifice whatever time they have left to oppose your rule, you are clearly doing something wrong. And naturally, I'd step down, but then we're not, we're not all smart enough, are we? Anyway, the article reads, hundreds of soldiers blocked off the center of Minsk deploying water cannons and armored personnel carriers and directed barbed wire barriers. Protesters also took place, protests also took place in several other cities as well, including Brest and Grodno. Protests began on 9th of August after an election that official results say gave President Alexander Lukashenko a sixth term in office. Opponents and some poll workers say the results were manipulated. It doesn't take a genius to actually figure that out. I'm sure my one-month-old daughter could figure that out as well. <laughs> anyway, 
Many members of the Coordination Council that was formed by the opposition to push for transition of power have been arrested have fled the country. Interestingly enough, before we, I, I got this article, I was watching this short documentary episode thing on YouTube by The Economist, where they were speaking about this, and there's a lot of them have been arrested, tortured, or driven out the country. There's about one who, who remains now, and guess what she did? So government agents tried driving out the opposition leader who decided to tear up her passports so she could not leave the country, which for me, I, I think is a show of, of perseverance. It's a show of determination because they tried driving her to the border so she could be forced to leave the country, but then she tore up her passport so she could not leave. To tap your passports, why do you know very well that you might be arrested or tortured is for me... I don't know. It's it's something that I don't know. Only great leaders do, and that's really commendable. We should probably look at this lady's name. And then also, Sky News reports that some 390 women have been arrested within in these peaceful protests. For me, it's quite worrying to see women being arrested because we we know that with regimes like Lukashenko's, you know, the military rules with a kind of force that no one opposes. So. What will happen to these women when, when they are in these in these prisons, in these holding cells? What will become of them? Because we've seen time and again whereby, you know, women get taken in for supposed crimes against the state, you know, undermining the state, a threat to the state, whatever the nonsense these authoritarians come up with. And they, if lucky, they make it out. But then more often than not, they tend to not make it out. So if they do, they are not the same person who walked in. So it's 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 worrying to see this because now it's it's happening next to right next to Russia, which also has something on if if time allows. Mm. But then yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's quite worrying because it's it's just one of those things, man, where you, you don't know because you've been in the power for 26 years. And what more do you want to do if you've been in power for 26 like you've been in power for, what more do you want to do? It's 26 years in power. What else can you do? I think what he's trying to do is establish a lineage. For, so I saw in a lot of the, the, the propaganda pics and some of the pics taken that have come out of Belarus. So him and his son are walking around in commander jackets with like strapped with like pistols and AKs. So I think he's trying to set the stage for his son. However, I read into some of the stuff. And so, yes, yes, he, in his dictatorship, he's um, he, at the first couple of years, he was actually quite well liked and like, loved by the people. But he's starting to see that, you know, me and you are like 23 23, 24, right? And mm. there's people that have been born in his regime that are actually understanding now. Like, they know what life is like without, like, what life is supposed to be like. You see, the older people crowd started supporting him. And that's largely what kept him in power. But he was yeah. starting to see have the youth. And you see, if you look at the marches, the large majority of these people are the youth. Right? Yeah, yeah. They've grown up in this regime and this dictatorship and now they want to step out right mm-hmm. obviously you get to travel out and you see what's happening in other countries around you 
and they realize they come back home and they're like, this is bullshit. I mean, they mm-hmm. see what's happening in movies. They realize, oh, this isn't normal, right? So mm-hmm. they, they've grown up and this is all they know, but they know that it's not right. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're starting to see this, right? A dictator can only remain in power for so long until he decides, okay, I need to adapt, right? Yeah. yeah you can be, if you look at, for example, I'm trying to think of like a good example, right? But you look at China, you look at Russia, fault, fault as you may, right? We all know that Putin rigged it to have it, but he also keeps these people at a certain level of happiness. They're not super happy, but there's a level of like just all rightness. You know, he adds a little bit of sugar to the thing, sprinkles it over Russia. And yeah, okay. yeah. Right? Discontent is snapped out like that. But at the same time, you see the sport being allowed. You see, I mean, the World Cup was there, right? So there is yeah. freedoms that he allows. But even Belarus, yeah. as everything's cracked, what you watch is knocked down. So there's a level of dictatorship that you, you, you either have to go full hearted like North Korea, and lock off your borders. Nobody can get in, nobody can out. Like, people must just live off potatoes. If that's <laughs> how you want to remain in power for hundreds of years, that's what you need to do. But I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to be a dictator, you can't go off. You know, it's, yeah. you got to go balls to the wall. You know, you lock yeah. that bitch up. But yeah. you see, I think he, that's his problem. He's trying to have a dictatorship and still be somewhat loose, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that is going to be his biggest fault. And the report is that this guy he's fallen. Is he has a roller coaster relationship with Putin, in the sense mm-hmm. that one month he's good, and then other months uh, Russia's refused payments to like send him loans and weapons. So nobody knows where he stands. Uh, like his relationship. That's why the EU has been so critical, but at the same time wary of just intervening in Belarus because they don't know what Big Brother is going to do. Mm. And I think that that uh, Shevchenko is using that simple threat of Russia to kind of maintain it and so forth. And like you said, it, it doesn't take a genius to realize that the election is rigged, but it's what he does with the dictatorship now. He knows that he's numbered. Yeah. He, his days are numbered. And now he should snap up. Okay, cool. I've looted for 26 years. My, co- mm. my, my coffers should be full. I can just disappear yeah. off the face of the earth. Like, you don't need to. Like, that's what, what I never got about Mugabe or something. Like, you look at all these dictators. They've had the years to loot, right? And I get power goes to your head, right? But once you've accumulated such a level of power, Disappear. You have the money. Just fuck off the face of the earth. Exactly. Like, exactly. I, like, look, Castro, right? He looted. And I mean, he, he decided to step back. Mm. He enjoyed it. You know, they tried to assassinate that guy like 64 times. Didn't survive. Survived mm. all of them. I think cancer mm. got him. You know, that man... <laughs> <laughs> so you know what he realized okay cool we keep it going and you know what? Yeah. 
whether you disagree or disagree, but Cuba is doing all right. Cuba is doing yeah. all right. Yeah. You know, thanks to our PPE. <laughs> thanks to our PPE. But <laughs> I mean, they they in a sense self sufficient. The COVID shouldn't have hit them that hard in terms of economics because before, like the in- economics wasn't great, but I mean, they are self sustaining. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man, it's it's the world we live in. So I just want to quickly go back and acknowledge the the lady who who's opposing Lukashenko's rule. Her name is Maria Kolesnikov. She is 38 years old. She's quite young. So she, if you look at things, she has more life in the bag left compared to Lukashenko. So I think she can she can keep fighting. She's more 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 than not likely to win. Anyway, I just want to quickly round this off by looking at why Russia might help Lukashenko stay in power. So I quickly just pulled up my, my browser here and I went on to worldatlas.com to check out the natural resources in, in Belarus. And boy, do they have a lot <laughs> that might interest Putin in more ways than one. So they have peat deposits, they have forests, they have oil, they have natural gas, they have brown coal. Fertile land, limestone, iron and steel, sand. Sand is quickly running out in the world. And, yeah, a bunch of other things. So if you look at all these resources, something as as, as, as mere as sand, sand is running out. So I don't know if you're doing this, but then sand for, sand for construction in the world, it's a big, big problem. Sand is running out. So sand is quite important and is quickly gaining value around the world. So if you have if someone is if you understand iron and steel, limestones, fertile land, which you, everyone needs right now, brown coal, natural gases, oil, forests, and peat deposits. Honestly, I'd be interested in keeping my friend in power. That's just me. I Wait, don't know about you. Here's my question. You're sitting on all these resources. Yeah. Nehru is still in the same position it was fucking 30 years ago. Like, yeah. what reform? What have they become like a strong power? I mean, with all these resources, they just they haven't yeah. achieved their potential. So, yeah, yeah. If you look at that, no wonder people find not get rid of him because we have so, they have so much potential and they're not doing anything with it. And if I was this lady, yeah. it may seem wrong, but she needs to get in bed with Russia and be like, listen, yeah. If you help us develop this or something like that, let's get him out of yeah. power. This is going to be the new regime, like, and you know, you can have some of our sand. You can't have our resources, <laughs> but we'll give you some sand. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's that's 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 a tricky one because if she goes into bed with Russia, how, how, what what amount of autonomy will she have? On, on the state and its and its functions. So to so what it sends so for Russia interfere in, in her operations as, as leader? Should listen, she go into bed and become leader? Listen here, this lady has balls. I saw that. So they tried to deport her, if I'm not mistaken, and she tore up yeah. her, her passport yes. so that they yeah. couldn't uh, yes. they evict her out of the country. Yes. Mean, the, the balls on this woman. Like, her husband's <laughs> been sent to exile and she was like, I'm uh, not going to go join it. Maybe she doesn't want to go back to her husband. But she she just <laughs> was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna do it I'm gonna run with it so like she's yeah. definitely got guts so like if 
you know what? They could have just put a bullet in her head. Like mm-hmm. she was, like obviously that doesn't scare her. So I think the whole notion of taking a step with the Russians isn't that dangerous if you've been threatened with your life. I mean, surely they beat her or like just harassed her and intimidated her in these cells. So yeah, I think that she's not scared or coward and I think that you know Putin is smart right you can see the ties are turning in to Lushenko so you know what what's the next fashion let, let me back somebody new and let's calm things and then I can still get in these resources right maybe your yeah. personal code won't allow that but you better think to Putin why doesn't he sit down with this lady and say okay cool cutting ties with Naomi Lushenko you're the new face Let's keep the ball rolling. Give me these resources and so forth, you know? Yeah, yes, uh, inside. So that, I, I, I don't understand. Maybe it's a, like a boys club and you're just keeping the party alive. You don't know. But let's just, let's bring it back home, man, you know? Um, yeah. There was, some, there was something, there's actually two points, two South African points, right? So on yeah. Friday, it was um, on Friday, Lieutenant Colonel Carl Kinnear was murdered so mm. in the Western Cape. Uh, he's yeah. the top South African top, uh, top detective with the anti-gang unit uh, in Cape Town. Mm. And at around 3 p.m. on Friday, the 18th of September, Lieutenant Colonel Carl Kinnear was assassinated outside his home in Bishop Levis. Bishop Levis. His killers waited and murdered as he pulled up in his vehicle. Carl Kinnear died for his country on Friday, and he did so, and he did so, which and exposed the vulnerable. He was he, he did so exposed, vulnerable, and without police protection. By SAP's own account, Kinnear, a section commander, was involved in investigations in several high-profile cases, resulting in multiple arrests. Yeah. In January 2020, colleague Vincent Kravachen wrote of how Kinnear, Kinnear's wife Nicolette lived in terror. When police who were assigned to protect the home were removed in the December 2019, a month earlier, two men had been arrested outside Kenya's home. At the time, South African Policing Union spokesperson Graham Nan- Daniels warned prophetically, this places the life of the police officer and his family in danger. We need to gather information on why the decision was taken and who gave the order to remove Kenya's protection. Trade Union Solidarity also spoke out with spokesperson Vinal Stander, highlighting that Lieutenant Colonel Kinnear is known for working with high-profile cases. Solidarity wants to know who gave the order to remove the personal safety at his house and what was the motive behind this. In January, when SAP's national spokesperson, Brigadier Vish Naidu, was asked about the withdrawal of Kinnear's protection, he failed to respond. This is what Western Cape uh, SAP spokesperson Andrew Trout said. Information of this nature was not shared with the media and the problems regarding the protection of members were dealt with internally, which it wasn't. Of course, Kanye is dead now. Now, if our top guys can't be protected, right? Our anti-gang unit guy, he's going after high, the likes of Poison, the 26s, the 27s, 28s, Mark Kebble and all that, Ollie Kebble and so forth. Yeah. Why did we remove the protection? This smells fishy. Like, I'm pretty sure your daughter 
your one month old baby will realize something's fishy. I mean, they yeah. remove his protection in December 2019, two months after they discover two people outside his house with hand grenades. They arrest these people. They had hand grenades outside his house, but they decided to remove protection. Mm. I'm sorry, but I mean, <laughs> they didn't even like, where is our FBI saying, uh, you know, let's move him, you know? There's already, they already know where he lives. Let's move him to a new house. Let's exactly. give him a, a squad car outside his house. I mm. mean, how do you, uh, and you know, the, we've seen these killings over and over of police members and so forth, right? People yeah. just murdering them for their service weapons and so forth and so forth. It's, when you look at it, who wants to be a police officer in this day and age in South Africa with the murder rates that we have, with just the corruption, like your own people are going to sell you out. And maybe I'm just a pessimist, but if somebody high ranking had to remove this guy's uh, protection, this wasn't just done by some decks, desk sergeant, because this guy was a lieutenant colonel. So somebody higher mm. up had to be like, let's remove his protection. Mm. Look, man. This is this is it goes back to what I said initially about Lorna and making sure that she gets on security because you can never trust the South Africans. I'm one of them, but I apologize. In some cases, my people tend to let me down, and that's 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 the spade. I'm calling it a spade. In terms of the good man, the man who served this country with so much passion, with so much determination, with so much you know, enthusiasm may still rest in peace, honestly. And I feel like it's a major loss because now it's it's a loss in two ways. First and most and most importantly, obviously, it's a, it's a loss for his family and friends and colleagues. But more importantly, well, I wouldn't say more importantly, but then equally importantly, it's it's a loss for the, the, the Western Cape, you know, all of society generally because... I, I'm, I'm sure anyone with, with with no eyes can see that crime and violence is a big problem in the Western Cape, in the Western Cape, especially gang violence, organized crime, and and the rest of it. So now to lose someone who is spearheading a number of investigations, actually making headway into getting people arrested and behind bars, it takes anything he was doing, two hundred steps back a thousand steps back because now someone new would have to come in and pick up the pieces, live in fear again, and, 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 and. And you can't help but wonder if, if, as you said, get him a squad car outside his house because this guy is dealing with, you know, the shark amongst the fishes, you know, so is it fishes or fish? Whatever the case is, a school of fish. That's the crew that I'm looking for. Anyway, look, this guy was supposed to be protected by, you know, the best there is because he was doing important work, work that could have saved the state tons of money, could have saved a number of lives, and could have worked for everyone in the long run. So we, we have to start asking ourselves, as, as, as you said earlier on as well, with all these numbers of cop killings happening in the country, 
most people are being, you know, deterred from becoming members of, of the protection forces. So now if you're losing those who are actually within the forces and who are willing to work and, and put in the time and, and the efforts and, and do what needs to be done, who's gonna fill up fill up those voids if you know those voids, sorry. Who's gonna fill up those voids if you're not willing to protect the people actually working? Yeah. So I, I as much as we we we've lost, you know, a great member of of the protection services. But I think it also presents us with a chance to to introspect, a chance to look within, a chance to question, a chance to to think about the future, a chance to to think about crime and its relationships with violence, and what what it means for people who live within those communities. Because I feel like the trouble lies in the fact that the people are in charge of making decisions and the rest of it are removed from the reality of the, the, of the people they're deciding for. Mm. So that, that distance protects them in a sense and also makes them naive of what needs to be done, what the situation is, and the rest of it. And as I'm thinking about this, it, it takes me back to, I think it was our first podcast or a second one, where you asked me if I was to become president, what's the five things I'd do? And I remember one of them I said, I'd increase engagement with NGOs in communities because they have a good sense of the struggles, the the problems that people face on the ground. And if you can get that kind of knowledge, that kind of information about what's happening on the ground, so that when you when you make policies, when you make decisions, when you act in any way, shape, or form, you are informed by reality and not what you think their reality is based on your own assumptions and your own views of the world. Because most of these guys, as I said, are removed from reality. Mm. But again, a tragic loss, you know, gone so soon. And yeah, it is certainly, certainly shouldn't be happening again. Yeah, Yeah. I just want to read this paragraph. It's actually a very interesting article um, on Daily Maverick. Uh, It's titled, Age of the Assassin, A Man Died for His Country today rest in peace call Kania. and it go, the, there's this paragraph that kind of stands out it says those corrupt members of saps who have colluded with underworld figures now have a direct burden to carry they help kill call Kania. Kania represented one of many brilliant saps members who risk each day who each day risk their lives like an officer in the dc dpci also in the western cape who was recently who was recently plugged with four bullets from a stolen police gun supplied to a criminal by a corrupt cop and which in turn was used to seriously wound a dedicated good cop. This is how bad things are in the, in the Saps in the Western Cape where Kinea lived and worked every day of his life. Saps, in an urgent media communication after the news of his murder broke on 18 September, even managed to get Kinea's rank wrong. The National Commissioner of South African Police Service General Kela John Sitoli has expressed outrage at the killing of one of SAP's top investigators, Colonel Carl Kinnear. Kinnear was a lieutenant colonel. It kind of just speaks to the situation, you know. Um, I know time is time is of essence in this podcast, but it speak. It also this direct thing. 
Um, um, so this direct uh, directive is quite interesting because we see this back and forth recently about the Metro Police of the Western Cape and they're being assimilated into the SAPs. So apparently there's tensions between the SAPs because SAPs is the National uh, Police Service and they get the mm-hmm. Metro Police, which is Western Cape in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. And that's run, obviously, by the DA. So you've got to wor- question the political uh, tug of war going on between the SAPs and the police force and that whole sphere because it's the ANC national government, the DA province, and you're seeing that tug of war. That's why we aren't getting the resources and obviously the metropolis are more funded, but it's largely SAPs run a province. So you're having this tug of war and that also stops people from, you know, combating crime effectively because you have two police forces and they're both tugging and roaring at the resources, as well as the ability to, because nobody knows whose jurisdiction it is, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So you have a situation of that, and I feel like in a in another podcast we can look at that instances, but I just think that it's not a nice time to be a police officer, and we've got to lord the people that actually decide to still join the profession, you know? Um, yeah. But like you said, it it's people not in position making decisions for the everyday man and mm. they're not they're not aware of what's going on you know this yeah. tim kennedy said that um in obama's year in a like he the reason he votes for trump is right so with uh obama they were yeah. allowed like they felt the pinch budget being pinched right so they were yeah. only allowed a certain amount of bullets and a certain amount of weapons. They weren't allowed to get state-of-the-art weapons, right? Yeah. So he said that he gets he got a third of the amount of bullets that he wanted, that he requested during the Obama period. Mm-hmm. During the Trump era, he's got, they've gone carte blanche. Whatever weapon you want, you're allowed to get. <laughs> the bullets yeah. are... Fr- like, you can order as much bullets as you want. And... <laughs> That kind of support is kind of what we need. We need our government to get, say this is in priority. Same with our national defense. The, the government, yeah. needs, I mean, our GDP, what we spend on military is 0.1%. Most countries say that the, your, GD, your military budget needs to be 3% of your GDP. We're 0.1%, mm. right? How mm. can we, our troops or even our police force effectively protect South Africa on a meager budget. We need, yeah. like, that Trump backing, like, some people are going to say police brutality, we're not a warmongering state. Fine. But our security, we're seeing, we, we have a murder capital, you know? Yeah. And it's because we're tying the hands of our law enforcement, our protection services, and so forth. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've got something here that relates to not necessarily the, the, the issue of cops, but then something you mentioned towards the end, which relates to our military spending. So it's just a quick article here by, from Business Day by Helmut Roma Heitman. I hope I got that correctly. Apologies if I didn't. And the title is, Why SA Needs to Now 
in the defense industry. So there states a number of things here. For instance, from the 1960s onwards, SA developed a defense industry with a remarkable breadth and depth of capabilities from rifles to nuclear weapons to sat and satellites. It became particularly well known for mine protected vehicles, long range artillery and secure communications equipment and surprised with the development of guided weapons and the Royvak attack helicopter, which is quite an amazing piece of machine, that helicopter. I've seen a number of videos on that helicopter, amazing piece of machine, amazing, amazing, amazing. They move on to say, from the, from the end of the 1980s, it began to do well internationally with the mine detection and mine protected vehicles, long range artillery, infantry support, weapons, and some of its guarded weapons. Exports reached just over 15 billion rands in 2012. We're using 2020 data on the RAND. So if you ask me, the RAND is pretty weak, yes, but then 15 billion rands in exports, it's a lot of money for the workers, the company, and the shipping companies as well. So there's a lot of people at play there, and there's a lot of families to feed in that process. So, so um, I don't know. What do you think about that alone? Can you can you look up the stats on how much uh, in 2012 how many billions SSA brought in since we gave them a, 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 a loan? <laughs> Quite funny because as of Thursday or Friday somewhere there SSA needed 10 billion rands to survive until December, of which some creditors said they will not give, and now government is again going against this word of saying SSA has to find its own money. Then government now said, no, it's fine. We will give SA some money. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, let me just quickly move on with this article because there's something I want to get to relating to the importance of having a defense industry, especially for a country like us that has a neighbor like Mozambique problematic. So anyway, today that industry is dying for a lack of government support. The defense budget is too tight to allow defense force to acquire new equipment and upgrade or properly maintain what it has in service, let alone fund research and development. And unlike other countries of the defense industry, the government has failed to strongly support exports. And this goes back to a point I think I made a week or two weeks, I think two, three weeks ago, about how the Nile strongly relied on the Middle East as its markets for arms sales, which is unsustainable if you look at nothing is permanent in the world. So you have to always put your eggs in more than one basket. You have a basket or two so that if things go south in, in this part of the world, you can always turn to your other friends and say, hey, I've got a bunch of rifles here. Do you need a few, you know? So anyway. If Mozambique's got the money, we can send them some bullets. I know they need some bullets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think we should also look into Africa, especially if you look at countries like Algeria, countries like Egypt, countries like Libya back in the day, countries that had a really strong focus on on the military arsenal. Mm-hmm. We could look into those countries, and most recently, you could probably look at Rwanda and Kenya and Kenya, Kenya, yeah. Kenya. You could look at Kenya, yeah, yeah, and we could we could look at them as new markets because since they're developing countries. And it should be much cheaper to trade across the region as opposed to buying your weapons from the EU or, or the US or Asia. So also, should... I mean, you could also, sorry, I don't know, depending on like your, I know there's agreements, so like you can't sell to like 
a designated terrorist group or so. But I mean, you could, yeah. the like you look at the Mali insurgency at the moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, those government troops need it, but that also depends on who you look at to be the legitimate, like the um, dictator or like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So It depends on who's asking. Of course. Yeah. But here's the crux of the matter. This is why a defense industry is integral to the defense capabilities of a country and other benefits and advantages it brings for a country. So I'm just, I'm just, I got these points from the article, they're not mine, to state again. From a strategic perspective, it provides a degree of independence, importance, independence, freeing the country from depending on others for equipment and munitions, right? From the military perspective, it provides equipment optimized for the theater, what does the military need? What's your reality? Mm. Provide a reality, not the reality you wish you had. Patricia DeLillon said that, I loved it. From the foreign affairs perspective, it allows support to friendly countries, our neighbors, Mozambique. From the industrial perspective, it brings new technologies, skills, and processes that spin off to other sectors, quite important, and educates and trains engineers and artisans who migrate to other sectors. <laughs> and then last but not least, yeah. And then from the economic perspective, it brings hard currency export revenues. Remember what I said about revenues? Yeah. Reduce hard currency outflows and generates employment at home rather than in other countries. So it also goes back to what you said about the US relying on the military for its economic growth stability. With us as well, we've seen we've seen Danel through the years being able to push, produce arms and in the process create jobs and create skills, education and the rest of it. But then now with the fall in military spending, we are seeing problems arise whereby those role that role that was previously played by Danel in, in education, jobs, feeding families and the rest of it is starting to to fade away. So I just wanna and this is 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 it linked exactly to what you said about military spending and GDP. So the World Bank, which is reported not to really be a, a friend of defense spending, spending has found that a country can spend up to 4% on defense without harming its economy. And in some cases, to some benefits. In our, in our case, it would just be benefits only as, as far as I can mm. see it. Militarybudget.org data shows that South Africa spends about $4.7 million on, on, the, on the military in 2012, which amounted to 1.1% of the country's GDP that year. That it's $4.7 billion, not $4.7 million. Whether we, so just to say that again, military.org data shows that South Africa spent about $4.7 billion on the military in 2012, which amounted to about 1.1% of the country's GDP in that year. Over to you, sir. I want to tell you a story. Yes. I can't remember the dates, the times, and so forth. But it was it was a it was a night, yeah. uh, cold night. I think it was out in um, Eastern Cape, if I'm not mistaken. And people had I don't know the situation, the context, or anything. But uh, people surrounded yeah. the police station, so there's petrol bombing and shooting at the police officers. The police officers were outnumbered, outgunned. Yeah. They didn't have the correct resources. 
So they fought eight. They found ADT, yeah. and ADT came to rescue them because ADT was better protected and better equipped. <laughs> ADT uh, is a security firm, private security firm. That just kind of sums up our yeah. situation. I, I I'm no yeah. weapons expert or something, but like look at the heavy weapons of our police force. They're awful rifles. Like you won't even yeah. win in PUBG with them. I mean, we 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 our scars, <laughs> we our M416s. You know, we we are with awful rifles yeah. that we they excelled in the border wars and all of that in the nineties and the eighties. Yeah, forty years down the line. Yeah, when do we say okay, cool? We can only take a rifle so far, right? It's, exactly. You know, it's they trying they're trying to make miracles here with like like. It's like taking a, you know, what's the shit is going on PUBG? A Karak? Like the, one of the slow, the car 94s? A single bolt thing? It's like trying yeah, to win yeah. a match with that. You can't because your opponents are so much better armed than you are. And that story kind of sums up our situation, you know? Um, we, he, you know what, as great as Nelson Mandela was, and uh, people are going to find this very mm. controversial. But he decreased our spending, our military spending. This, he disbanded a lot of our military troops and the units and so forth. And people found it super, superficial. Mm. And the, the role of the military has largely been ignored in, from the 2000s to 2010 and so forth. Um, and yeah. I think that it's the government's fault in the sense for not raising awareness, giving it to people as an option out of school, join the military and so forth. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in right now. Right? Like you said, yeah. the increasing our spending, there's only pros to having a better defense force. You know, It's jobs. It's, it's better state security. You know, It mm. gives people purpose. And raises patriotism levels within the country, right? You yeah. might have the occasional uh, brutality episode and civilians dying. That's fine, right? We got to weigh it up, you know? We are South yeah. Africans. We're pragmatic. 3,000 deaths, we're not going to go kill the whole of Africa. We are not the US, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Let, yeah. let yeah. us be pragmatic yeah. in our approach, you know? Um, and I think that... Yeah. By decreasing our budding, uh, a budget for other things, it's basically shooting yourself in the foot, spite the face, you know. Um, and we exactly. don't have the people in government to say, Listen, here, our troops need more, you know. We keep getting through these things like Benga, um, car, the situation in car, and our continued deployment in the DRC. We keep getting through these skirmishes with ease, right. Speaks to like our character and agility, but like a boot market plan, it's a farmer makes a plan, right? That can only go on for so long. Like, if we keep succeeding, the government's gonna keep thinking we can keep operating on this meager budget. I'm not saying our troops need to fail, yeah, but I mean, if we keep performing miracles on this, on these sticks and stones that we're playing with, then they're gonna think, okay, cool, we don't need bigger toys, you know. And I don't think there's a strong enough voice. And we've mentioned it before. Nobody is reading in government. Mm. We have all these reports about mm. what we need to do 
how to improve our troops. But if the DA is the only people that read, that's reading these reports, then, yeah. you know. But let's yeah. move on, man. Uh, close yeah. us off with your last talking point, please. So. Yeah, man. My last talking point is to end up on a end off on a more on a more lighter note. I think a note we've all been looking forward to, and that's our you know our country's move to alert level one in terms of lockdown regulations, and that in itself brings about a number of freedoms, which I'll get into. But there's something I just want to touch on relating to that as well. So. On on the day when Ramaphosa made the announcement that we're moving down to lockdown level one or alert level one, if you wish, he urged South Africans to join the global phenomenon of the Jer- Jerusalem dance challenge, uh, our president. And then the same guy who once said the ANC is a case of, because it's been literally being controlled by the unions, it's a case of a tail wiggling the dog. Absolutely love that line. Absolutely love it. We he again came out and and you know he went at Ramaphosa again. FF Plus leader Peter Grunfeld said it is extremely disappointing that the president is telling people South Africans to dance while the country finds itself in an economic depression and he has failed to announce any feasible plan to bring about an economic recovery. I I just I think I'm, I Peter Grunfeld for me has to be one of the I don't know, the greatest leaders out there, he just speaks his mind, you know, rolls with the punches, he takes no prisoners. Yeah. Anyway, to give the, the actual positive news in terms of the lockdown regulations and the new freedoms now, we can just quickly have a look at a business tech article here, which speaks about South Africa moves to lockdown level one, and here are the changes. So just, you know, browse through the... Once I can see now, there's plenty of this on the government's website. So if you want to know more, you can check that out. And yeah, you can have a look at those. But what what's what what happens now? The number of people in any venue must not exceed 50% at normal capacity. So this moves up from the previous regulation, which said you can't have more than 50 people. So let's now assume a, a venue can hold 200 people. You can have 100 people because that's 50% capacity, mm. right? Then it states a maximum limit of 250 people applies to indoor gatherings, so such as your halls, your, your banquets, but if it's a stadium or an open venue, you can have more. A maximum limit of 500 people. Jesus Christ, is that a lot? I think that's, that's, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> a maximum of 500 people applies to outdoor gatherings. A maximum of 100 people may gather at funerals. Night vigils are not permitted. But now here's my question. When they say at funerals, do they mean at the hall or at the graveyard site? Because that's two different spaces. That's an indoor venue and an outdoor venue. So it's something to think about. Masks must be worn at all times and social distancing must be maintained. Funny story about social distancing is because they're still going about the whole thing of two meters and two meters and two meters. But then I think three weeks ago, I came across an article that said the new norm now should be eight meters because the travelers can travel that far. And it states that two meters is based on all science, which government is still telling us about. So it really comes and forces us to ask the, the science that's informing them, where's it coming the from? The same science that, you know, said that alcohol is bad and tobacco is, helps with COVID. That science, that's the, the same guy. 
Yeah. Um, we need to check his qualifications. Yeah. yeah. Then, <laughs> then just to quickly, quickly put this baby to bed, the number of people allowed in a retail store, restaurant, cinema, or other public space remains limited to 50% of Zoom capacity to prevent the spread of the virus. Gatherings may not exceed 50% of venue capacity at the max of 250 people in door and 500 on door. We've spoken about mask already. Travel, travel may be restricted to and from certain countries that are deemed high risk, which I, this is, I don't know how we're going to play that one there. It's, it's interesting, but we'll see how that it, it draws so, out. You know, I'm still trying to get it at the country and South yeah. Africa is on a no-fly zone, so they don't want us, particularly in Prague, they don't want us at the moment in. So yeah. how how we South Africans are, we appease anybody, right? So are they going to draw a hard line and mm-hmm. say no Chinese, no Americans? Because America's got the highest rates. you got India. Number. So are we going to draw yeah. a hard line in the sand? Europe is getting the resurgence now. So yes, we need, mm-hmm. we need tourists, yeah. right? But yeah, are we gonna get our resurgence from this? You know, right? Mm. I don't see. Mm. I hope we have a hardline stance because if we need to travel abroad, like because uh, I've on two attempts this year try to leave the country, right? And on both times for South Korea and in Prague, they want an X-ray of your chest seventy-two hours before, a COVID nineteen test, a TB yeah. test, so. We need to say, okay, we want all of that. We need to adopt this principles. I know we are South African and we back forward, backward and stuff like we cut corners. But like, if that's what it takes for us South Africans to go there, the same should apply. They need to go through all those hurdles as well. You know, I think we we yeah. we're gonna shoot ourselves in the foot in the sense that yeah. we're gonna it's gonna be a money grab, and South Africans love money grabs, but. We're gonna shoot ourselves in the foot because we're gonna get COVID again. We're gonna get that second wave. So I'm I'm all for I, opening our borders, but we need to be clever about it yeah. and how we do it. Right? There's many countries experiencing yeah. a surge, and what the European Union has done is they reevaluate each cases. So we're gonna shoot ourselves in the foot and say America can go, but every two weeks the European updates the list and they put a new country on it or takes one off, right? So we should have a flexible rotation and say, uh, okay, A, B, and C is allowed, right? Cool, they're allowed in. Two weeks later, oh no, mm. B is not allowed. The numbers are high. Block B, get D in, and so forth and so forth, you know. And I think that that. Yeah decision-making and infrastructure alone is not there. I mean, he said download an app. What is this app going to do? What is, what is this dance going to do? It's distracting us from the nitty-gritty because he doesn't have a plan. He's saving face. It's, you know, you said it. T- uh, tell we- wiggling the body, you know? T- uh, what? Right? Yeah. Tell, tell wiggling, wiggling the, the dog. dog. And it's a safe face, right? We know he's not making decision-makers. So they probably said in a meeting before the, the speech, you're allowed one thing. So we'll give you a little dance, but these are what we want you to say and so forth. All right. Good doggy. <laughs> <laughs> the tail is working, yeah. good doggy. <laughs> so in, in, in terms of, of what you just spoke of now, particularly the matter of, of countries and testing and, and isolation and all that jazz, 
the government seems to have put in some consideration in terms of, you, you said, for instance, in Prague, they want say a scan of your whole body, a scan of your father's body <laughs> and the rest of it. So, <laughs> so government seems to have thought about this because one of the regulation states on arrival, travels will need to present a negative COVID-19 test result not older than 72 hours from the time of departure. All travelers will be screened on arrival and those presenting symptoms will be required to have a COVID-19 test. I wonder if we have capacity to handle travelers as well. When necessary, travelers will need to enter mandatory quarantine facilities at their own cost. Square pig in a round hole. It raises a number of problems in terms of travel dates. You, you, what, when did you book your hotel, your return date back home and the rest of it? Interesting, but we'll see how that pans out. Travelers will be asked to download your favorite app, the COVID Alert South Africa mobile app. And then in terms of airports, only King Shire International, Ortambo International and Captain International airports will be open for international flights. Limited number of border ports will remain open at South Africa's land borders. And then is this the last of it? Yes, this is the last of it. The curfew will remain in place from midnight to 4 a.m. I'm not quite sure what purpose it serves at that point in time. Clubs. Uh, <laughs> the only time you are at that time is the club uh, or... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, yeah. The sale of alcohol at retail outlets is now permitted from Monday to Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 a.m. Alcohol will be, alcohol will be permitted for on-site consumption in licensed establishments with strict adherence to the curfew, as you said, clubs. Yeah, and those are the new rules for a little over one, and that's where I I put my my mm. case to rest. What 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 else what else is on your mind? I so just want to end up with this, right? To take it back to violence. Yeah. Don't provoke the people. Yeah. I'm gonna end up with that. Um we have um, we've grown this, gotten this mob mentality, and that's what keeps EFF in power. We saw it with the student movement. We saw it with Fismas Fall. We're seeing it with cliques. We're seeing it with land, um, the land occupation at the moment. It's this mob mentality. But when you mm. challenge somebody one on one, they're not. They buckle, right? I'll tell you one last story before. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, no means a tough guy. I don't claim to be, and so forth. But oh, this was in first year, 2016. We, we were in yeah. the library and two guys came running in, right? And they were screaming, everybody out the library, everybody out the library. Why are you studying? Why are you studying? Right? And I was like, so like they started pushing these girls around. They made these girls pack up their bags and so forth and so forth. And they came back to me yeah. and I'm by no means a tough guy, but I, I stood up and I pushed them yeah. and told them to fuck off. And they buckled and pressure. Like, I don't understand, yeah. right? When they pushed back, when people just stand up to them, they buckle. These people are cowards, right? Yeah. And then I saw yeah. them, and then the, uh, a couple of days later, I saw these guys in the crowd again, and they were the ones burning razors and throwing molotovs, right? And that kind of, that mob mentality that you only have strength in numbers is what's going to get you hurt because... You're going to meet the wrong person and you're going to get fucked up if you keep this, mm. like, this fake outrage. Everybody wants to be part of the struggle, I think. Um, yeah. And sometimes there's no struggle to be had. 
right? I get fees must fall because yeah. education is just expensive. I'm still in debt. I still have student debt. I'm trying to get out of it, right? But Makes yeah, so-, so like I get fees, they need to be cut somehow. But like, if you remember the demands that these people had, they wanted free textbooks, free uh, data, Wi-Fi, free transport, free, like the demand mm. was, was insane. And you know what? They yeah. meant, also, like, university has dropped their acceptance rates, like the entry requirements by numbers, right? Some for the good, some for the bad, mm-hmm. I know. But, like, <laughs> university is not for everybody. And, I mean, I can I can speak about Trisphism as well because I was there. I wouldn't say part of it, but I was I was there in the thick of it. They, they blocked classes and all that jazz. And I can say that, some motherfuckers that didn't study that protest, the niggas that didn't make cam, they saw they didn't make cam, so they're like, you know what, university is gonna push uh, us through for you protest, and that was it. That's why they did this shit, you know. So this yeah. fake, uh, f- fake protest and shit like that about stuff that doesn't even concern you, it's not for you because you're gonna hit find somebody and they're gonna fuck you up. That's the that's 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 yeah. my closing statement, man. Uh, it it sounds harsh, but we're losing the ability to call spade a spade. Uh, like you said, yeah. people need to learn to use violence like salt. Season lightly, yeah. You know, be in, embrace your or the white person inside you. They say that the joke is that white people don't season their food. Use it generously. <laughs> Violence is a commodity, you know. It can yeah. be used excessively, and people won't get scared of it anymore. You've got to use it sparingly and wisely. Yeah. Season where necessary. Yeah. If there's already, yeah, that's yeah. my statement, man. Season where necessary. Yeah. Look, man. From from me, that's that's about it. I. I think it have here. It's what is a great podcast. I hope everyone who's listening is will find it just as interesting and have a great week. And yeah, don't catch corona. You're more you're more likely not to. The numbers are going down, so you you're in a good position. Don't catch corona. You know, drink your water, mind your business, and yes, yeah, keep listening to our podcast. Share wherever you want. We are on every platform. Yes. Engage us. You know. Uh, yeah. yeah. People DM us directly, but like, drop it enough. Drop us a message. Drop us a tweet. Throw a rock in our direction. Don't throw a cocktail, a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> Just drop it. <laughs> throw a rock uh, in our direction, and we can, you know, engage. You know, um, we welcome the best. Yeah. You know, if you hate us, that's fine. Also, yeah, yeah. Uh, share that, and then we can talk about your hatred for us. Um, but also thank you for to everybody that keeps listening. Uh, we do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Man. Season lightly. Yeah. Yeah, and as our slogan says, we open for debate. Yes, sir. All right, my man. Take care. Cool stuff. Man. Take care.